We are continuing our sermon series. We're looking at First Peter. Uh, last week, we spent um, our entire time talking to the ladies because Peter really dives in and he, he speaks in the first six verses of chapter three and he focuses in on the ladies and he talks to them of how they can win their husbands who aren't Christians. And then he only takes one verse and he speaks to the men. And that's what we're going to do here this morning. And as we think about all of that, um, and as I was putting that together, um, what's really great is what Peter has to say after he talks to the men and to the ladies. This is what he says in verses 8 through 12. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling with reveling, but on the contrary, bless For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I love the fact that he he brings all of that together after he's talked to the women of how they can speak to their husbands and, and not even actually having to use words, but by their actions. We talked about last week and as he, then he talks to the guys um, that we're going to look at here today, he then follows that up by talking about unity and how we're to be peacemakers and how we're supposed to come together it reminds me, uh, as I was uh, looking at Abraham Lincoln's leadership, he spoke these words during his second inaugural uh, address of 1864. Our country was in danger of completely coming apart at the seams because of the Civil War. This is what Abraham Lincoln said. He says, with malice toward none, with charity for all, With firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to do good, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Now, as we think about that and being those peacemakers um, and everything that we're going to talk about this morning, I want to give you a little bit. Some of you have asked what we're doing as we move forward uh, with the preaching and where things are headed. Um, some of you are asking where we're headed. Well, next week, Justin's going to be preaching for us uh, and he's going to bring us a Thanksgiving message. We're looking forward to that. I encourage you to plan on coming back and supporting Justin as, as he preaches next week. And then we're going to go into a Christmas series and it's um, we're going to be looking at the, the true Christmas. And we're going to talk about the facts of the story. We're going to talk about Mary and the shepherds and how their stories truly came about. And then we're going to see how we can find true joy as Jared preaches on the 22nd. We will be having um, on the 24th, we will be having a Christmas Eve service. Some of you have already been asking about that. And, and some of you have been asking, okay, Travis, where are we going? What can we do for the holidays? What can we do to prepare for Christmas? The first thing you can do is quit putting your lights up because we haven't even had turkey yet. 
All right. So amen. Right. I know. Um, that's, that's right. My daughter's the same exact way. Um, and, and so some of you are saying, what should we do? What should we do? And stop. And, and some of you are like, well, Travis, you're wrong. And no, you are, but that's okay. Um, and I joke, I joke about all of that. But you know, there's a lot of people um, that are really trying to figure out what to do. Uh, for Thanksgiving, what to do for Christmas. And, and we get so caught up in the busyness of this time, right? We're thinking about family coming in. We're thinking about traveling to go see family. We're thinking about all of those different things. And sometimes we can lose what our focus is truly supposed to be. And we've been talking a lot about this. We need to continue to live on mission. So never forget who we have been called to be. And that is Christian. And to make sure that we are living out our mission. Here's the thing. As we approach Thanksgiving, as we approach Christmas, people are completely open to hearing the word of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for each and every one of us. So keep that in mind as you're busy, as you're thinking about all of the things you have to do and the decorations that you're going to be putting up and the people that are coming over to your house and who you have to buy for, continue in all of those things to live on mission. And as we look at what we're going to be um, looking at this morning, 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 7. I was thinking about what to title this message, and I could have just ha- said, well, it, it's helping the marriage part two. Um, I, I could have looked at many different things, but what it really honed in upon is how we are called to have a counterculture marriage. What does it mean to be counterculture in our marriage? Because as we talked about last week with the, the roles of husbands and wives and, and what we're supposed to do, it feels completely counterculture to everything that the world tells us today. Last week, we focused in on six ways that wives can uh, win their unbelieving husbands to Christ by being submissive, by pure conduct, by showing respect, by inner beauty, by trusting God, and by doing good. And as we talked about those six things, one thing that you, you hear those words and you're like, oh, wait a minute now. If you didn't get a chance to actually hear the message, I encourage you to go onto our website. Um, you can check it out through our website. You can listen to the message there. You can go to um, Apple Music. You can go to Stitcher, whatever you would like to do. And you can actually listen to the music uh, on the podcast there so you can understand truly what we're talking about. But today we're going to focus in on verse 7. There was a, a, a young man that was walking along the beach out in California and uh, he stumbled apro- uh, across uh, this uh, genie lamp. And as he rubbed it, the, the genie came out and says, you have one wish. I will grant you any one thing. And he says, well, you know, um, I'm really scared of flying. And uh, not only am I scared of flying, but I hate boats as well. But I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. And he says, so I would like you to build me a bridge. And the genie says, do you know how impossible that is? Do you know how deep the ocean is? Do you know how hard it would try to be to make a bridge that would go all the way to Hawaii, come up with another wish? That's impossible. He thought for a second. He says, okay, I want to understand women. The genie thought for a second. and He says, do you want two or four lane highway? (laughs) Husbands, we're not off the hook. Let's look at verse 7. 
Peter says, likewise, we see that word again, likewise. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know what I love is is he took six verses and, and some people have said, well, Travis, why does he take six verses to speak to women, but he only has one verse to the men? It's very, very simple. He had to keep it simple for us guys. One verse. And it, he packs a lot in. And we're going to break this entire thing down as we as we dig in here to this one verse. He starts out again the same way that he started in verse 1. He says, likewise. It means of equal degree. It's as if Peter is saying, husbands, listen up. Because now it's your turn. It means in a similar way. And we read here, as we talked about last week, wives are called to submit. Husbands are called to submit. And why are we called to submit? Because we go to the end of chapter 2, we submit just as Christ submitted. He didn't have to, yet he submitted to his Father's will. And so we, husbands and wives, have been called to submit as well. The husband's role is, is different, and so serving will look different. But Ephesians 5.21 puts it this way. It's simply yet strong. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I find six words that truly speak to the men when we read this verse. The first one, companionship. Companionship. We read here, likewise, husbands, love your wives. That means to dwell with or to reside together. Fundamentally, it means simply to share the same bed. It's a command in the present tense that we should continually, constantly be doing so. It simply means husbands, hang out with your wives. Get to know them. Do life together. You see, in Peter's day, husbands were generally uninterested in being friends with their mates. And we kind of see that today as well, right? Men, we go do things with other men. We don't go to the restroom together, okay? But uh, you, you women do that. Guys, we don't do that. Um, but we do things together. We go to football games together. We go hunting together. We go fishing together. And women, they go see movies together. And, and, and they go shopping together. And they go out to eat together. And they, they go paint together. And they do all these things. And, and we kind of have just gone our own way. And men do things together. And women do things together. But here... We're called to be together, to be companions, to be partners. And what Peter was trying to say was, men, go against the culture. In the first century, they didn't do things together. Today, we really don't do things together. And so he's saying to the husbands, do things with your wives. Be their companions. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. The word helper means a partner or companion. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means one who answers to or cor corresponds to one like himself who speaks the same language. You see, 
Adam, God had created all of the animals and Adam had named all of the animals. And after naming all of them, he noticed that there was nothing like him. He was sad. Something was missing. And so God becomes a preacher or an anesthesiologist and puts Adam into a deep sleep. He removes a rib from his side and forms a woman for him, then wakes Adam up and says, hey, I've got something for you to look at. And the first thing that Adam, when he sees Eve, they lock eyes and just in this beautiful Hebrew poetry, he says, whoa, man, man, the first service was more awake than you guys. And so that's where we get the name of some sort. I want you to check out what we read in in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Adam says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, here's the thing. In the Hebrew, seriously, this has lost some of its translation. Because we read this and there's something different. Something that we really don't get. But it was as if Peter, it was, it was, it was as if Adam says, yes, finally, someone like me. This is what I've been longing for. Guys, do we do that? I want you to go back and I want you to think to the very first time that you met your bride. I want you to remember when she caught your eye and you were like, oh yeah. I want you to go back to that furry first time when you just couldn't get off the phone. You couldn't hang up the phone at night. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. You couldn't help but write that love letter. You you were so just enthralled in her and you couldn't wait to tell your parents, this is the woman that I'm going to marry. I want you to stop and think about that for just a second. And what, what, what Peter is trying to get across, what we're reading here in Genesis is that we need to see her as the apple of our eye, that she should be our true joy. That's what it's truly about. I like how commentator Matthew Henry captures it. The wife is to be looked upon not as a servant, but as a companion to the husband with whom he should freely converse and take sweet counsel as with a friend in whose company he should take delight more than any others. In all of the sermons that I preach when it comes to weddings, there's always one thing that I make sure that, that I say during the message. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head so that she would rule over him, nor taken out of the feet of Adam that he may trample upon her, but taken out of his side to be his equal, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. Let's face it, a lot of husbands kind of huddle together and we do our own thing and wives, they do their own thing. One study that I read is this companionship really isn't all there because on an average weekly basis, 
husbands and wives communicate all of 37 minutes. On average, 37 minutes a week. Not a day, but a week. I let that really sink in because there's times that Teresa and I can be sitting in the same room, but it feels like we're very far apart from one another. Fellow husbands, let us work at having a time that we just hang out with our wives, that we spend time with one another. You can't beat the importance of companionship. Number two, consideration. Husbands are to dwell with their wives. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. This is the idea of knowledge or learning by experience. It implies having an intimacy. It can also be translated with wise consideration. One verse puts it like this. Be thoughtful. One version says, be thoughtful of your wife. Guys, get to know her fears, her failures, her feelings. Oh, I don't like that word feeling. I, it makes me all feel weird inside, right? Guys, we don't, we don't like talking about our feelings. Your wife does. Get to know her feelings. Your wife should be the object of your study. Go to school on her. Notice her. Observe her. Ask yourself this question. What does my wife need and how am I doing at meeting those needs? Celebrate who God has made her to be. Unleash her power to live on mission. Make sure that she is the glory of your home, in your neighborhood, in your church, in her workplace, with her friends. Husbands, do you know your wife's love language? For some of you, you're like, what's a love language? Well, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And here's the thing, guys, if you don't have this book, you need it. And all you need to do is if you're afraid that your wife might look at your Amazon account and check that you've ordered it, come see me. I'll order it for you. I actually probably have a couple in my office right now. And I'll get it for you, and you can surprise your wife by knowing her love language. There's five love languages. It's words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Find out what your wife's love language is. And then speak to it. Now, there's, there's things that Teresa loves to do. That I can't stand. There's movies that she likes to watch. Hallmark Channel. Oh, horrible. I'm just saying. Just saying. But I'll watch some of those movies with her. Why? Because it speaks to her. I, she loves to go to craft shows. Oh... She's in here. She knows. But I do it. Why? Because it speaks to her. You know how many things that she does for me that I just thought about? You know, this last week I was really thinking about it. She goes out of her way. Um, and I, I think about it all the time. I'll, I'll ask her. I love country music. Love country music. 
And, and I know, right? I love country music. And, 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 you know, she's like, oh, can we listen to something other than country? I said, but you're singing along with the song. She's like, because that's all you let me listen to. That makes me just think. Am I showing her consideration? Do I know her love language? You know, the word husband originally meant one who holds the house together. Like a manager who spends time and his resources wisely. It can also have the image of a gardener who is cultivating the soil and keeps the weeds out. We need to be planting seeds of security using the fertilizer of faithfulness and watching to make sure weeds are not allowed to choke out that which is growing. A husband has the responsibility to love our wife, holding things together, providing in the home, making sure that there is an environment for growth and fruitfulness. Here's a helpful site for marriage. Guys, I encourage you to look this up. It's called growingmarriages.org. Just one, growingmarriages.org. There's one article that I found that, guys, you would be very interested in, in checking out. It's a post called Six Things Gals Wish Their Husbands Knew About Women. Here, here's four of them. Women need reassurance that they are loved. But she knows I love her. I told her when, when I married her. Tell her. Let her know. Stop on the way home. Pick her up some flowers from Walmart. Get her some chocolates. Know what her favorite drink is from Starbucks. I don't even know she likes Starbucks. Find out. Okay? Whatever it is, figure that out. That's one of those ways for her love language. Women, secondly, value emotional security more than financial security. Yeah, women like to have money, but they would rather know that they are emotionally secure more than anything else. Number three, women want men to hear and validate their feelings, not just their problem at hand. That's an important one because men, we're fixers, right? A lot of us men are fixers. Our wife tells us that something's wrong other than the bathroom sink that's still leaking, um, Beyond that, when Teresa tells me that something is wrong, I'm going to fix it. You tell me that someone's hurt you or upset you, I'm going to set them straight. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make sure that you're okay. No, 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 that's, that, that's not what I'm asking. I want you to hear me out. Just listen. But we heard, we heard hurts, and we want to fix it. We need to make sure that we're listening all the way through. Validate their feelings. Women need reassurance that they're beautiful on the inside and the outside. Make sure that you are telling them how beautiful they are inside and out. So husbands, cultivate companionship with your wife. Secondly, live with consideration. Number three, cherish her. Cherish her. The next phrase that we keep reading, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. The word showing is in the present tense, meaning that we're constantly telling her that we're continually doing so. You see, to honor your wife is to hold her in high regard, to treasure her. 
In Proverbs 31, we read, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Proverbs 31, 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. You know, it's sometimes helpful to ponder the opposite as well. When we talk about this word cherish, to honor, sometimes we look at the antonyms and it really brings things into focus. Some of those opposites of to honor or cherish, to diss, to scorn. Guys, do you neglect, disregard, do you put down, ignore, criticize, condemn, do you humiliate? How are you doing at honoring your wife? Guys, do you know that your wife should be more than anything else in your entire life? More than your children? More than your hunting trip? Yes, even more important than your favorite sports team. Are you willing to turn the game off if she says we need to talk? It's a hard one, isn't it? But guess what? We have this great thing called DVR. Just press pause, press record, turn it off, watch it after she goes to bed. And then don't check Facebook for any updates. But are you cherishing her? Are you making sure that she is the most important thing in your life? Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. Don't take your gift for granted. Value her by spending time with her, by speaking well of her. By the way, do you know the best thing that you can do for your children? Show them. Show them that you honor and love their mother. That's so important. It's important to teach our children very early on. I, I, I had a firsthand experience of this. Um, as many of you know, I was uh, helped raised by my grandparents. And I lived over there a lot. And during my teenage years, um, I, I don't remember what I said. And it's racked my brain, but I'll never forget what happened to me, and then what the words that my grandfather spoke to me. For whatever reason, my grandmother and I were fighting about something. It's hard to tell them what it was. And I looked at her and I said, I hate you. I know, right? My grandfather overheard me use those words. I still scorn today at what happened to me next. But it was not the physical beating that I took. It was the words that he spoke to me. My grandfather, he looked at me. And he simply said, don't you ever speak to your grandmother like that ever again. You've never heard me do so. Don't you do it either. And that has stuck with me. All through my years. Companionship. Consideration. Cherish her. Compensate. Some of your wives are like, that's right. 
compensate me for having to put up with you. That's not what I'm talking about. Hold on now. This particular word that is translated here for wife, it's only used in this one instant in the New Testament. It means womanly or feminine. And I thought a lot about this section. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And as I read that, many of you earlier were already on edge. You were like, oh, I'm going to get him. He's going to call us weak. Not morally, not intellectually, not spiritually. But what Peter is talking about here when he says the weaker vessel, if we're honest with in each other in, in general, men are stronger physically than, than women are. But that isn't even the focus of what Peter is talking about here because he uses this word vessel, not the weaker part that I want us to focus on. I want us to focus in on this word for vessel because vessel is described an object that has been hollowed out with the purpose of containing something that was priceless, that was a fragile china. We get our English word from the Latin here for vase priceless to be the weaker vessel is that a woman is extra special is a value do we treat her that way husbands do you treat her as valuable as fragile do you treat her as your best glass that could be broken Actually, husbands and wives are, are both called vessels. And Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. He says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor and some of dishonor. It helps me to remember it this way, if I truly think about it. How many of you know what Waterford Crystal is? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. Waterford Crystal is is very fancy. It's very nice. It's not something you just go, hey, I'm going to have a glass of water. Let me go get out my crystal. But when we think of Waterford Crystal, guys, I want you to think of your wives that way. Guys, the way that I look at it, my wife is that Waterford Crystal and I'm just a red Solo cup. It's the way, if we, if we truly think about it in such a way, we will place value upon her. She is priceless to us in so many ways. Peter uses the metaphor back in chapter 2, verse 5, that we are living stones. And we've been called to, to seek, lead, and deploy the gospel. We have been called to do it together. Number five cooperate a husband is not inherently better or more special than his spouse we're equal when it comes to our spiritual footing and internal importance because we are partners and we have been told to cooperate with one another christian husbands and wives are heirs with you of the grace of life that means that we share together in our salvation. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says that we are joint heirs with Christ. Malachi chapter 2 verse 14 says, Though she is your companion and your wife by covenants, 
Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 3, 28 through 29, that there are no second class citizens, that we are all equal in God's eyes. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This helps husband, husbands to initiate without intimidate. To be bold yet broken. To be the lion and the lamb. To be caring but not a coward. You see, in short, Teresa needs a tender warrior. As I lovingly lead her and our family. Husbands, care for your wives. Cooperate. I like how John Piper defines headship. He says, the divine calling of a husband to take the primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. So companionship, consideration, cherish, compensate, cooperate. One last word. Connect. Connect. You know, I really don't think enough about how I treat Teresa has a spiritual implication in my life. Specifically, Peter tells husbands to love their wives. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Fellow husbands, while it's true that God calls our wives to submit to our loving leadership, I want you to listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. The New King James Version says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. The English Standard Version says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The paraphrase of the message puts it this way. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. You see, the way that I treat Teresa is a proclamation of who Christ is. If I'm not treating her right, then things between God and I will not be good. We see that word hindered here so that your prayers may not be hindered. Hindered was used of digging a trench. It was to stop the enemy from being able to advance. You know, Satan will dig a trench if you ignore your bride. She will dig, he will dig a trench if you mistreat her. And you will fall into that ditch and you will not be able to move forward. Your prayers will feel like they're flat or futile. There will be friction in your marriage. Bitterness will put up a barrier. Conflict with your wife can affect your communication with God. We read in Proverbs, the Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayers of the righteous. I'm challenged by what Psalm says in Psalm 66 verse 18. If I had, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What I want to do is we bring all of this together. I want to go back over these six words. I want to put them in the form of a question. 
I don't want you to think about these and how they can apply to your marriage. The first one, what one thing can you do to live in companionship so that you can become best friends with your wife? What's just one thing that you can do? What will you do to grow in consideration of your wife? How will you cherish your bride this week and for the rest of your lives together? In what ways will you compensate by valuing the vessel God has entrusted to you? Where will you serve in cooperation with your ministry partner? How specifically will you connect spiritually with your spouse? And to bring it all together, I'm going back to football for just a second. How many of you know who Odell Beckham Jr. is? So before he came to play for the Browns, which he has done nothing since he's turned and gone to the Browns, he's known for one, that there's a lot of antics that he has done since this one thing. But there's one thing that he was really known for, and it was the one-handed catch. And he reached up with one hand and he caught this ball, but not, not even one hand, but two fingers. He caught this ball and he snatched it out of the air and he brought it back in. And here we go, wow, what an amazing catch. Husbands, your wives are an amazing catch. And you need to know it. And you need to treat her as such. I think husbands who stretch out with everything they have, determined not to drop the ball that God has sent their way in the form of their wives. It's even more spectacular. But I want to talk about one other catch. It's probably the greatest catch of all time. It is the greatest catch of all time. And that's the fact that God sent his son to snatch us out of the grip of sin. He stole us from Satan to save us from our sins. We might fumble because of God's faithfulness. He will never drop us though. We will fumble. We will fail. We're going to make a mess of this life. But he never gives up on us and he snatches us back every single time. He will never drop us. John chapter 10 verse 29 put it like this. Jesus says, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands so I ask you where do you find yourself right now this morning there's someone here that may have needed to hear this message who has never accepted Jesus Christ for the first time and today is that opportunity that you can allow him to speak into your life to be set free to be forgiven because he has snatched you out of the grip of sin if you will just allow him to do so. And you can meet me in the back and we can talk about what that looks like, what it means for your life, how you accept him, what steps you have to take. Guys, I know some of you may be struggling with what we've talked about here today. Maybe it's one, maybe it's more. You just need prayer in your life because you're going to go out to lunch before you come back here for uh, 
rise against hunger. And you need to talk about how you have let down your wife. And you need prayer before you ever make it that far. I'm going to be in the back and a couple of the elders are going to be in the back with me. We're going to pray with you to help you to see who you are supposed to be as the husband, as the man of the house. Whatever decision you have to make, will you make it as we continue our worship? Please stand.